The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We are going to talk about behaviorists today, and uh, we're excited about this topic. We've been mulling around with this as far as meds and behaviorists and stuff for a while, but I have some more intel this week from one of my very official Facebook posts, so we're going to talk about that today, but first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. <coughs> Woo! That orange pig, he sounds like He's not like behaving he has, well this morning. Sounds like he has bronchitis or something. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on with him. It's He's, behavioral. <laughs> behavioral. <laughs> we're calling it behaviors. The quirky tip of the day has to do with the president and his dog. So uh, I get more political on our podcast than most dog podcasts probably. Who knows? I don't really listen to anything. I got a lot going on. But anyway, as far as what happened with this dog bite and yesterday in the White House, this whole many, issue... Many listeners may not know that this happened. Okay. Well, then I'm just going to out what happened yesterday. Um, the Our president, Joe Biden, uh, uh, whatever, President Go Biden. Oh, Joe. <laughs> Joy B. So anyway, our uh, president's younger dog, the one that was rescued, a uh, bit like a security guard or something in the White House. There was an issue. I'm not sure what it was. I'm sure it was Secret Service. Yeah. Whatever happened, I don't know. Could have been somebody running in in a suit. I'm not saying anything either way. The bottom line is the rescues really built up that a rescue dog was going to the White House. Great. They should have. That's awesome. I'm excited about it, too. There's this new like game being played that like, oh, like liberals can't even handle dogs in the White House. And I don't know what that's all about, and I'm not going to defend what happened with the younger rescue, but the bottom line is dogs need to be well-behaved in public, whether they're in the White House or anywhere else. So if you want to know our stance on this situation, it's that, yes, I personally voted for Biden. I am liberal. I believe in balanced training, and I believe in responsible rescue. So anyone that's skewing it that, like, oh, like, we only need to train dogs this way. No, we need dogs to listen. We were talking about that as far as the bites with the White House earlier. Obama had a bad bite, too. Sure. Another liberal. Yeah. Another liberal president. <laughs> and then Can't we got, and then we got through the Trump presidency with uh, four years of no biting. But the bottom line is dogs are deteriorating in general. So before we make this like, uh, oh, here we go, he can't even do this, the nation can't even do this, let's back up and look at behavior. Okay, so we're going to talk about behaviors. So I had this thought mulling for a while in my head as far as like, what is a human profession and how does it equate to a dog profession? So, and actually, we didn't even talk about this, so this will be fun because you can do it too. So the human profession and was... since I've been off Facebook, I haven't been involved in these little games, but now I'm jumping right in. <laughs> What do we got, babe? <laughs> he loves to play my game. <laughs> so uh, if we're talking like a dog profession. So uh, to me, a groomer. Hairdresser. Exactly. Good. Boom. Perfect. Got it. Ding, ding, ding. I should have brought. Uh, this is like I Ellen. I should have brought bells. Uh, hopefully we're nicer than she is. Um, a veterinarian. Um, a uh, poker dealer. <laughs> Doctor, clearly. Yeah. So, but yes, as far as sometimes what happens when you come out of there. Um, and then I had a <clears> trainer <throat> and a behaviorist. And it's so funny because I left trainer and behaviorist blank. And I always think in my mind, a trainer is like a psychologist and a behaviorist is like a psychiatrist. And no one answered that way. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not thinking properly. Anyway, what I did learn, there were a lot of good answers what about kind of answers did you get? life coach, um, mm. uh, fitness coach, a lot of, a lot of, there were a lot of random things. But what I did learn is 
it's not like you're just a behaviorist. There are three different levels of behaviorists. And At least. According to the AKC, it's like unregulated even completely. But it's not unregulated in general. <clears throat> there are ways to get um, degrees and do things. So we're going to kind of delve into a little bit of this today and talk about how things came to be, who can help, who can't help, everything else. So, so what was the tip? Biden's dogs bit, and we're not going to... The tip is get some training for your yeah, damn rescues. Not gonna, That's the tip. We're not going to sit Louise. there and... Like, make excuses for that. That's bullshit. Dogs in the White House shouldn't bite. I mean, that's the bottom line. I don't care if it's a shepherd or rescue or anything else. Like, this isn't partisan. We need to control dogs. So I, I brought up the uh, Tufts website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you want, you can go through these well, quickly. This or... was interesting to me with Tufts, One. even. So this is an article for Tufts. So they listed the five... What yes. was it? Five. Yeah, they had five levels, basically, of... They open up with uh, which kind of animal behaviorist do you need. You know, so you're having problems with your dog, behavioral problems. Uh, maybe the dog is peeing in the house. That's a behavioral problem. So they're recommending that you contact a behaviorist. And the first one they're talking about is a board-certified veterinary behaviorist. So that's the top of the pyramid. And that's a, a doctor, a medical doctor in the field of veterinary medicine, who has also done um, additional education to learn about behavior. And that's the top of the food chain in behaviorists. But they're not going to, and they're going to be able to prescribe meds too. The veterinary sure, behaviorists are, have a veterinary degree. They're a DVM, so they can prescribe meds. So go through those because you had five there and I only yeah. have three from my Facebook um, intel. So. And I'm not going to get into each one as much, yeah, but of you course, can yeah. comment on it. Next one, certified applied animal behaviorist. So this is like your PhD setup. And it says, while all, behav- while all veterinary behaviorists have the same level of training in veterinary school, followed by residency in animal behavior. Certified applied animal behaviorists may come through the ranks a bit differently from each other, although all of them are put through the paces of significant degree. To start with, they must have an undergraduate or, or, and a graduate degree, and all must pass rigorous oral and written exams, published articles in scientific journals, have hands-on supervised experience, so it's, it's very extensive, except yeah, they don't have a, to be a veterinarian. And it's a PhD program. So when yeah, I was so at the University of Michigan with a Bachelor of Science, that undergrad degree, that's what I got. So could then I just you add, go to a it PhD is saying here they, should have a, they have to have a master's degree, a yes, PhD yes, in behavioral yes. science. You have to go on farther than four years of lower education. So that's your PhD behaviorist. So the difference there is now this type of person can be like a zoo trainer. So you can have like a behaviorist that now is working in the zoo with zoo animals, or you can have a behaviorist like that working with dogs, but they, those people can't prescribe drugs. Right. Okay. The next one is the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. And this is where, to me, what I learned, it got a little tricky because this is one organization that certifies, but there's a few more as well, but sure. this is how they listed it. And this that's- is, This is what uh, Tufts is endorsing yes, and yes. having on their website. So- do you want to read what, what that's about? No, no, no. About? Because, and then what was the it's, other two they listed? The criteria just gets less and less. The next one is yeah. the Karen Pryor Academy for Animal Training and Behavior. So that would be their, as another they way, go down the food chain Another way to become a behavioral qualifications. consultant. Right. And then the last one is Certified Professional Dog Trainer. So that would be the, the, the last choice that Tufts would recommend if you have behavioral problems as a dog trainer, but it would be to, they're telling you in order... Of the how best, you, yeah, the, how the best you should one. find someone to help. And then they get into with this dog trainer that they're recommending that it's certified through a certain school. And um, so that's just five. Yeah, but those are five different behavioral people, I guess. And that that's can, a Tufts article. And the, the reason that this is even coming about is because, like, I 
posted this article just to kind of, or just this question about, you know, professions to kind of get a read on the world. And then all of a sudden now I'm getting all this feedback and they're describing all these things. So what I had learned is similar to what happened there. Veterinary behaviorist, behaviorist with uh, the degree that where you can be a zoologist or whatever, or a zookeeper and uh, work with dogs. You have a PhD for that or a behavioral consultant. What freaked me out is the behavioral consultants were all kind of certified through positive organizations. So we, we know this is just a general rule of thumb that for the most part right now, behaviorists and veterinarians aren't working together very cohesively. And this is not to shit on veterinarians. This is not to say that there is no need for behaviorists or none of them help at all in any way, shape, or form. Scott and I do not believe that, but we have not seen the effects of the drugs and stuff work as well as some people claim. The thing about it is that if we're not working cohesively, like, are we actually kind of screwing ourselves or maybe not doing the best for the dogs or something else? And I'm not saying, like, if you believe in reward-based training or positive training that you should put compulsion on your dog. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But if you're going to the vet and saying, I have this issue, and then the vet is now only referring you to someone that's going to use a positive trainer, and maybe you go for meds, and maybe there's euthanasia, all this stuff, like, that is a concern for me. I want to collaboratively be making an effort to help the dog world. So, how many clients do you think we've seen that have seen a behaviorist? Oh, 50. Yeah, maybe, I uh, would say over the years, yeah, no? Over the past few, yeah. yeah. Just in the past, and in mass, yeah. I, I would say before boot camp, it's a pretty like clear thing. If they're going to pay money to us, we'd say take them off meds. I would prefer to, take, yeah. to have a dog in their natural crazy state than medicated while I'm trying to build a relationship with that dog and teach him something. Yes. Well, and furthermore- I don't learn as well when I'm on hallucinogenics. <laughs> I can tell you for sure. <laughs> he barely, he barely <laughs> learns well on uh, nothing. I don't learn the right lesson. Let me put it that way. <laughs> no, but really, the thing about this is, is that like, okay, so I, my, more my theory of the whole thing, we've been doing this together for 10 years. We probably do 100 dogs a year for board and train, I'd say-ish around there. There's more contracts, there's more packages, but maybe we get 100 in a year. The thing that I'm concerned about is if they're on medication and they've worked with, you know, positive trainers and they've gone to all this extent, why are they going to now give us a few grand to fix their problem? And why would we keep paying for the medication or take the, keep the dog on the medication? If the medication isn't working and they need more, then fine. Like let's be the more, but then let's see what the dog actually looks like. And I don't think taking the dog off medication we've ever said, let's go back on. Uh, the only reason that I would say to go back on, usually what happens is the dog gets significantly better in our care from the anxiety perspective, which is typically why the dog was on meds in the first place. It's anxious, unable to settle in a crate, pacing around the house. A lot of environmental stuff. A lot stuff. of issues like that. So I, I want to see that and try and recondition this dog's brain and see if we can get it on the other side to be a calm dog in the crate and not be exhibiting so much anxiety. And nine times out of 10, the trigger for the anxiety is the owner themselves. But really, at the so end of it, we need have you to ever work told someone to go back on? I don't think we have. No, I, I mean, I, we're I, not, on we're the not front end, qualified I to. I, on the front end, when I tell them I would like prefer the dog to come in without medication, and if on the other end it's not better, then we'll get the dog back on the same medication. That's what I typically say on the front. If I know, it's not but I don't think, I just feel like we haven't We haven't had to. Yeah, like we that, haven't had to. I don't, that's never But come I up never want us. to close the door on that either. We're I don't want to say, get the dog off meds, we're not doing that anymore, because that's wanna, not for me to say. No, and we don't want to close the door on anything. If it's yeah. going to freaking help the dog and the family, that's all we freaking yeah. care about. Like, this is the only point. Like, we are here Sometimes I tell the people, you take the meds, 
and we got the dog straightened out and everything will be fine. honestly less of a joke. All right, we're going to go to commercial real quick. We uh, threw back in our How to Calm Your Canine commercial. So if you have anxiety yourself, check out howtocalmyourcanine.com as well um, after the podcast because we have a lot of good stuff for the second half. Does your dog seem anxious? Would you like your dog to relax? Do you want to feel more in control? Would you like your dog to cooperate? HowToCalmYourCanine.com That's HowToCalmYourCanine.com All right, we are going to do the quirky question of the day. And the quirky question of the day happened to be, what should I do if my dog bites someone? Should I call a trainer or behaviorist? So we came up with the topic. I did my little Facebook Hmm. post, and here we are, and here we stand. Wow. So I would say you and I... um, we're not like mental health ex- experts here by any stretch of the imagination, but you and I are not big right. on pharmaceuticals. If it was, if, if experience qualified me, I think I'd have a doctorate at this point. <laughs> but no, I'm not big on pharmaceuticals with, with dogs. It's certainly not my first choice. And I don't think we are with humans either. That is not where we normally head. No, but... No. You know, that's another whole No, and it's fine, but this is my concern with the meds and the labeling and everything else, is if, like, I was in a massive car accident in high school. Like, massive, I have a huge scar, whatever, I lived, it's great. Um, It's not a problem. But there's PTSD from that. Like, Scott will even joke now. He's like, hey, you got to make a left turn. Like, you know, like, let's let's focus here. Like, let's not freak out. And I'm way better than I was. But I'll tell you, like... A year after that happened, if I had to turn into a shopping center and it was really crazy, I may like freak out and like think about wanting to get out of the car. PTSD is a real thing. I am not taking that away from anyone. I'm a little anal retentive. Would you say that? Just a little. But it keeps things neat, so it's good. And uh, a little OCD going on. We all have our own little things, right? I can say that I am these things, and this is why I always think of trainers as being the psychologists and then referring to the psychiatrists, which I guess I'm the only one that thought that, and Mm -hmm. I... I'm the only one that thinks a lot of things these days, but that's okay. So we're, we have this situation and I can say to someone, Hey, um, I'm feeling this, I'm exhibiting these behaviors. My spouse or my friend or my child could say, you know, this is what's happening. This is how she's acting. And then we could come up with a diagnosis. I am stressed out about now taking these labels and putting them on dogs. I am stressed out about saying that dog has PTSD. My Malinois happened to be attacked by um, dogs when I was in college, and that's neither here nor there. It was a very bad experience for him, and that's fine. And he was attacked by three dogs at once, and it was a trusted friend, and it's not a big to-do. He may have had PTSD from that experience. Of course, he's going to see other dogs, be more reactive, everything else. That doesn't mean that he can't walk naturally with other dogs or that he shouldn't integrate with other dogs. So I guess my concern that I'm saying with all this is what I don't like about the behaviorist aspect of it and the meds and the labeling and everything else is like, how do we know that that dog experienced PTSD? Like, how do we know that this is happening? And if it's just because, oh, he's a rescue, well, then is that necessarily the right way to go? And the reason that it's an issue for Scott and I is obviously we try to work on meditation. Like we do floating. We talk to you guys about a lot of shit we do on this podcast to try to keep our headspace as well as it can be. And we do those kind of things for our client dogs and for our own dogs and everything else as well. Are the dogs sitting cross-legged? No, meditating. But 
you've seen before. We meditate with dogs at our feet. In this program, How to Calm Your Canine, it's happening. We're trying to incorporate some of our wellness into the dog's lives in addition to structure and training, and it seems to be working better. So that's more my freaking concern is like, I don't care who you go to. This is not an ego thing like, oh, pay us money, and we want to fix your dog, and we want to get the testimonial. No, like, is who you're going to helping, and is your dog getting better? And the last thing I want is for you to euthanize your dog. And does that mean that if you see a behaviorist and you put your dog on medication, that it's not going to get better and you're going to have to euthanize it? No, hell no. A balance training. We've recommended behavioral euthanasia before. I just did last week. Yeah, it ha- like this isn't this isn't like there aren't bad dogs out there. Like we get all of that. Genetics are different. Environment is different. The world is different. But the whole point is like. If the person you're going to see is not giving you what you want or you're not getting enough of a stretch and getting better results, then what does that necessarily mean at the end of the day? And are we further contributing to the problem? I guess that's my biggest stress. And when we came and we got all this laid out and Scott pulls up this Tufts article and we're looking through all of this, you need a DVM. That has to do with a lot of schooling, a lot of science, a lot more liberal people, if you will. You need a PhD for the other one. More schooling, more whatever, maybe some more liberal people there. You, a behavioral consultant. It came all from organizations that are purely positive. Like, I'm getting sick of this bipartisan issue about dog training and methodologies and everything else. Let's just freaking help the dogs. That's the only place I'm at right now is like, if we are going to help the dogs by being balanced trainers and balanced trainers talk to behaviorists, great. Like, Let's help them. And I would say we had people getting burnt out about what happened with behaviorists with us. Like I think of the dog that was in the crate with the bark collar. Yeah. My only pet peeve with behaviorists in general, based on the experience I've had with them, and um, is just that they don't work the dog. That's the only experience. Yeah. That, that just really is a pet peeve of mine where they'll sit for, and typically it could be anywhere from 350 bucks to $700 for a this consultation with the behavior behaviorist and they talk to you and you fill out a lot of questionnaires, a lot of forms. They evaluate all this stuff. They talk to the people, they observe the dog, but they never take the leash. And I think before you go to the meds, I think you, and I'm not talking if the dog's going to attack you. I'm not talking about that, but most of the time it's anxiety and there's a lot of weird stuff going on. I think the first um, approach should be through some basic obedience yes, training and, and some behavior modification techniques. And that doesn't mean you're getting that training through a balanced trainer, but if it's a positive it trainer from, and it's the, that, not going the way you thought it would, and then you go to a behaviorist next, and then you go to meds next, like what is our cycle there? And the reason I brought up some of our specific examples is like it would be kind of frequent that someone would have a consult with a behaviorist, but they would be booked out so far that they would see us first. And like we have had people say like, oh, when the dog is acting aggressive, like, hit the e-collar, like behaviorists, certified behaviorists in Massachusetts. And I'm not calling out names and throwing people under the bus, but like that's happened. We have had people before, uh, dogs with anxiety in rough tufts and they've gone to behaviorists and they say, well, just use the bark collar in the crate for the barking in the crate for the anxiety in the crate. And I'm not trying to shit on people or call people out or anything else, but like if it's not working and we're secretly stretching like on the back end, maybe we should all be more collaborative and talking more openly and more honestly. And my, my biggest concern out of everything is there's certifications, there's money being exchanged to get these degrees, to get these certifications. People are making money out of this. Obviously drugs cost money. There yeah, was an the, article. We talked about the continuity Yes. And the money grab from, you know, on the medication where it's just, it's ongoing monthly for the rest of that dog's life that you're going to be paying for medication. And um, 
there's a big talk or a big article that that I stumbled into that said was it, I can't remember seven billion was it something like yeah, that? Yeah, I posted on canine healing last and, week. And uh, most of it is canines is where the pharmaceuticals are being spent on. And there's another whole situation where like. Okay, yeah, vets are selling them. I love vets. Vets are doing great. Not one more vet with the suicide. Like, I get it. Like, I'm not shitting on vets or behaviorists or trainers, and we're not trying to, like, make enemies here. It's, like, it's hard on all of us. Like, we are all sensing what's going on here. And the thing about the meds is, yes, the majority of the meds are coming from the vets, but then there's, like, Walmart and Costco and all these, like, online dealers selling meds, and they want to break more into that market. Well, if they want to break more into that market, there's going to be a greater push towards these types of situations and political movements and everything else. Well, yeah, and I hate to be super cynical, but, you know, when you see that there's now veterinarians moving into big box pet stores that can also do a puppy class or this or that, that can then say, oh, your dog needs to go over, maybe get some meds, come over, just walk across the aisle and get a, here, and then just, you can get them right at the back of the store. Then all of a sudden it's just another uh, profit-making product. Yeah, and I guess my concern too- Like dog food, just keep coming back. (laughs) Here's your meds, here's your dog food. The continuity, and I freaking get it, you guys. Like, I mean, we deal with difficult dogs. I'm cutting those dogs' nails. I'm giving those dogs baths at the end of the program. And sometimes even after that, like, they're still muzzled. Just for my safety, they may be well-behaved. But I get that, like, you're, it's, it's hard to handle some of these animals. A lot of times, vets are now recommending pre-medicating, which I totally understand that that is a functional way for them to have an easier vet visit. Like, I totally get that. I'm not saying that's the wrong thing. But then, and I'm not sure about this. I have not confirmed this, and I have not taken all these courses. But then there's talk about some of this new, like, push for, like, force-free handling and grooming and everything else, maybe medicating the dogs for grooming. So my concern now is, like, okay, if we have dogs that are, like, totally not well-behaved, they can never leave, and the only two times a year they leave is to go to the vet and the groomer, and they have to get medicated to do both of those things. Like, that's weird. That is weird. And I posted a few months ago, like, has anyone been, uh, has any doctor recommended that parents medicate their kids situationally? And honestly, a few people said yes. <laughs> like, it was scary that, like, people were like, yeah, like, when the kid is, like, a little much or when this is happening or this trigger happens, yeah, give them a drug. And we were talking, and it was funny. Remember when we talked about the cigarettes, how our parents smoked at the table and stuff, and we were mm-hmm. talking about... Like, what if you sit there and now, like, just the norm is you wake up, the parents take meds, the kid's helping out with chores, gives the dog meds, all of a sudden the kid has a problem, the kid's on meds. Like, that's becoming the norm. Like, we are setting everybody up for, like, okay, let's do meds. So, again, this is not about it doesn't work, anything else. This is about we are genuinely confused. We're going to start selling meds on our website. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that would be less of a joke if our in-person dog training website was not redirecting to Viagra oh, earlier yeah. this year. That, it's was, been, you that know, was a bonus it's for like, the clients. Oh, 2021, we're going to change it all or not. They but should have whatever. sent me some samples at uh, least. Please, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this I is, mean, people take it recreationally, right? Uh, yeah, very funny. Okay, so <laughs> we're talking about websites redirecting now. But really, the whole point of this is that we need to help these dogs. There is a problem. Owners are upset. Kids are upset. Putting a dog down is like probably the hardest thing that we've done together. 
I mean, oh, I'm sure. not trying to be. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, it was. My mom passed away a few years back, and putting my do- dog down was way worse. Than and that. that's not. And, and I love my mom, but I'm that. glad that. Well, it's true. I know it's you always true. say that like that, but that's also because there was more time to grieve, uh, no, and she was, was suffering no really bad. To, to my mom. <laughs> I know it's just. It was like- just emotionally. I am just kind of like a seven-year-old, basically, <laughs> and my dog dies. It just that's it. I'm devastated. But that's all of us, and when we are seven, we have a dog. It feels good, and it's nice, and. Like, it's weird. There's just so much going on in the world right now, right? So everybody is still vibrating really, really, really high. Oh, and could I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. But Give me this moment. Go ahead. So everyone's vibrating really, really high still, right? And I understand we're waiting to get vaccinated, but like the election's over. We have a new president. Um, if you're going to get vaccinated, great. If you already have a first dose, great. It's getting warmer. You can go outside more. Like the hysteria has to die down. If the hysteria we're does lifting not- Lifting the mandate on the masks. In many yes. states. And, and w- whether that's a good idea or not, that's a political, that's more of a political thing, but like things are getting better. Yes. So now if we're going to continue down the road of the hysteria and, oh my God, I'm not sure. And I need this and everything else. Our dogs are feeling that. Like I will give you the capital. That was a lot. Like this 2020, that was a lot. The pandemic, that was a lot. This isn't on anybody. This isn't on any political party or any people or anything else. The point is, is that at some point it should feel like less. And every time it feels like a lot, the dogs sense that. And the reason that this is so obvious to us is we do this all the time. We are communicating with dogs and families and owners and everything else. And like we see the richest of the rich in New England, their shit just full circle, like in front of us. And we need to be conscious of that because the point is, is that your mental illness is going to be very obvious with the dogs and our clients are great and we're awesome. But over 10 years, you're going to run into some crazy dogs and a little bit more high vibrating owners, if you will. Income has nothing to do with this issue. It really (laughs) doesn't. This is a people issue. Exactly. But regardless of that, I'm just making it very clear that like a lot of our clients can hide more from their nannies and, you know, one another and friends than they can from us because dogs hit us at our core. Like the, the inner part of who we are comes out when we're dealing with dogs. And this is not a, if you're on meds, you're making your dog have a problem, or if you have a problem, oh my God, this, it's just about being aware and awareness is important when it comes to these things. I'm sorry. I just had to get through my vibrating point. How do you feel? Feel better? <laughs> trying. Good. We're going to give him a notebook. What I wanted to we're say, give I him mean, a notebook there's a couple here. of things I want to say. Um, one is that it can be confusing because it's an unregulated industry, just like dog training. It that is, was and the then first people thing I are going to shit on you about that because they'll say, no, you need a DVM or a PhD or you need to get to certification. So AKC Excuse, said that. I just wanted to say that I could put out a big ad in the No, paper. you could. I could put you out could a billboard yes. in Boston that says That's animal true. behavior. Scott of, Williams is in town. That's true. One night only. That's Come on true. down to the to of, the uh, Boston Garden. A lot of people are. And saying maybe that. someone might show up. Who the hell is this guy? I don't know. But the point is, you can anybody can say they're a behaviorist. Yeah, and what's happening and, with that is people will say like, "But we're the only certified behaviorist in the thing," and then we're shitting on others. The other thing I want to just touch on before is um, the other article about the behaviorist that worked at the zoo. Yes. And they talked about the outline of what that's all about. Did you want to hit yes. about it all a little bit? We can touch on the primate stuff because it is interesting to me. And we've been talking about that more over time and not even the primate stuff, but an interesting thing to me that's happening. And I don't, I don't know what's going on. I really don't. And I don't care. I just want to help people and dogs really. That's all we're trying to do. But, uh, what happened to be this movement of like purely positive R plus seems to be a little more Lima now, which is, what um, is that? 
least invasive, minimally aversive. That's what we talk about a lot. They Lima. may not know what no, it is. No, I know, but I, th- th- you can look it up. Go and look up acronyms. And I never remember the minimal. <laughs> I, I always got at least invasive, and then what the hell was the other part, aversive? But we're kind, of, we're kind of changing over time, right? So a lot of these ads and stuff that come up, we're training other animals besides dogs. I totally get it. Like, the reason that we're probably freaking married is the jokes that Scott made about chicken camp and Bob Bailey and getting married at chicken camp. Like, I'm obsessed with all that shit. Like, I get it. Like, I'm not saying that there is not value in training other species. But the differences between the other species and dogs was the interesting point. So we brought up three points on that. Do you remember any well, of them? Well, uh, when they were interviewing the behaviorists, she said, we're teaching these animals to do what they already do naturally. That was, yes. And true. that yes. was interesting to me because a lot of things that we teach dogs, some of it they do naturally, like they lay down. So now we want to teach them down. All of a sudden, it's different because when they do it on their own, it's a natural occurrence. When we make them do it, now it's not a natural occurrence, but it is a natural behavior. So it's not as difficult. You can lure it. You can do a lot of things to make it, um, get them to realize that that's what you want them to do. But when a dog heals, we talked about some other uh, things that we have dogs do that isn't natural for them to do, but that's the obedience portion of this. And that's where if you're dealing with a, a wolf in a sanctuary, you can train the wolf to push his side up against the chain link fence so that you can stick a needle in their juggler to jugular to give them a something. I mean, that's common stuff that they do. But uh, if, if the if the wolf is out in the wild, they're going to kill some prey, overcome and maybe get a treat from you. If there's all of a sudden a rabbit shooting out in front of you, they're not going to come over and lean up against you and do that because there's distraction that is in the natural wild. And the other thing about that is... And that's is... not in the sanctuary. So that's what we're talking about. And Jess brought a little friend with her. She may be carrying. I, I like to I'm call... Not, I'm not getting her out. Um, but if we the, do, her name other... is Hold Me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The other two... Um... The other two, uh, <laughs> he is such a funny husband, isn't he? The other two um, points about the primates that I just want to bring up really quick here before we close, and any animal, any species besides dogs, really, is that, okay, so that's one thing. Scott brought this up, and it was a good point. You're going into a tiger cage with more respect than you're going in to talk to a Jack Russell. Like, you're just, you're in a different headspace, period. It's making you be more present. Like, Maybe not a Jack Russell. That may not, not well, be fair yeah, analogy. Whatever you want to, a beagle, whatever you want to say, a basset hound. I don't care what it is, um, but... You're going in there with a different space. And my biggest thing that I always say, which kind of ties into what happened before, is like the reason the kids, I feel like, flourish more if they're in a house with parents that aren't so stable is they're out. They're going. They're meeting their parents' friends. They're learning about the world. And they're changing. A dog, if they're living home with two people, they're just with them. Like, that's it. That's all they're dealing with. And they're sleeping with that person and seeing that person. No one's sleeping with the frickin' primates or the chickens. Trust me, guys. Like, they're in cages. They're having their downtime. So maybe just their decompression time without being with humans all the time helps. So I'm not sure what it is. Again, if you have positive uh, results from this, if this has worked for you, I want you to write studio at the dog.com and uh, we will talk about this. And next week... We have super, super special guests on. We just want to collaborate. We want to make this happen. And we want to do better for dogs. That's really our goal. That's our only goal oh. is to help dogs and help people. And are you getting ready to wrap this up? Because yep, I just wanted have, to say, we have a guest. Yep. make sure if you've had a lot of success with uh, a behaviorist, please email us or message us. Let us know uh, your success stories because I would really like to hear about them. And I'm not saying that from any cynical point. I just want to hear good stories about people having success with a behaviorist. All right, guys. Thanks so much for the help and uh, listening in. And we will see you next week. Have a great day. Studio at thequirkydog.com. Keep it quirky.
The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.